Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Welcome back. Let's pick this up where we left off. Because you hit on something that's so important. This coach up and coach out, okay? In terms of setting up the four principles of how to move forward in an innovative and creative way. Here's the challenge, and and I'm going to put this out there and see where you go with this. There is Mm -hmm. a teacher shortage. And you will hear every institution say, I can't find teachers and mm-hmm. nobody wants to teach anymore. And they'll take what they have as opposed to looking forward in terms of how do we progress? So how do we combat the reality of the teacher shortage? And, and why is there a teacher shortage? I think we know the answer, but let's put it out there. So I'll start with the second part and work our way back. Okay. You look at the teacher shortage and, and obviously a lot of it is due to education not being able to traverse well, although we handled in the pandemic. Great. We were not able to to pivot well. And we've existed in a space of high control for so long that now when it comes to a kid being at home and they can choose to log on to your class or choose not to, and now that kid is not showing up, right? Like if the kid's in school and they have to go to your class, they're gonna go to your class because me being principal i'm in the hallway like you're going to class this is what we're doing but now the kid has the opportunity to choose to opt out and your method of high control is no longer serving you so what do you do then do you have any type of motivational is there any type of connection that it's an extrinsic and intrinsic motivation for this kid to even stop step into have you built rapport and relationship Mm. with this kid you are preaching today, or you are preaching. Go for it. <laughs> I think that, that for a lot of our teachers, what we discovered is no, there wasn't. And so that on top of, we went through a life-altering pandemic that changed the way we interact with one another. That there are kids today who just now had their first year of what I'm going to say, quote unquote, normal school. And so we're talking about even face-to-face interactions are different. How people relate to one another are different. We don't know if we should hug, shake hands. (laughs) We don't even, we have none of that. And so my thing is education didn't pivot well. And then we're saying, Look at all the behaviors we're seeing. Well, yeah, the kid went through a life altering experience. I'd probably act up too, right? I think that there is something to be said for how we didn't handle that well and how we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. Then I'd say, when we talk about the teacher shortage, the issue that I I think we're running into is one, we, we honestly just don't pay teachers enough. That's, that's just one. Two, education thrives on 
the well-meaning, the best that teachers offer, that extra time, them buying their own supplies to keep their classrooms going, them taking work home continuously. And teachers have gotten to the point where they're saying, listen, if you're not going to provide it in the workday so I can actually be a full human, I'm not doing this anymore. We just didn't innovate. And so I think people know that. I think people in the legislature know that. But I also think they're not going to do what it takes because who wants to pay more money for something that they have had this line item in education that has kind of existed at the same place. And now you're asking me to give more here. Absolutely not. We need more guns and tanks. I think that's the huge piece of it. I think also, though, educators are realizing that the same skills that they have built in the classroom can merit so much more outside of it. And so I know how to manage a group of 26, 27, 30 people. I know how to learn and grow this group of people. I know how to manage that. And now you're telling me with this managerial experience, I can go out there and earn so much more for myself and my family. I'm leaving. I'm going to go there. And so I think that that's part of it. And so dealing with the the teacher shortage, I think one, you just be honest about it. Like, this isn't going to be an overnight process. This isn't going to be a, I think you got to have like at least a five to 10 year plan for how we're going to move this thing, right? Money has got to go into education programs. We've got to give people incentives to be in the profession again. We've got to do more than just offer people the aspirational ends that we do in education. Go here, change the world. (laughs) Well, people aren't necessarily buying into that anymore. But then I also think that you got to be able to navigate that without selling out your core convictions. Because a teacher shortage should not give an excuse for the belittling, berating, uh-huh. and the othering that takes place in our schools. I would rather have the psychological and emotional safety of a child than to subject them to some of the things that we're seeing happen in schools. Right. There was a clip I posted about it a while back. This this white teacher is talking about how he believes that his race is a superior race and talking oh, yeah. to black kids. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, just the way that these kids respond, and I hate saying that, but the way that these kids responded, I was just like floored that they didn't just like, man, I just lost respect for you. Like that's just how they they handled it. But that stuff happens all the time. We just got cameras for it now. And so you're telling me that the national teacher shortage should, should stop that, should be an excuse for that to happen. There's that, there's the woman who danced around trying to talk about Sokotoa with the- I can't. <laughs> right, like there's all these things that have continued to happen. And it's like, okay, well, where, where's our principles? Where's our core convictions? Where's our values? Because ultimately what, what, what's happening now isn't, isn't it. And I would rather be down a few teachers and figure something out whether that be that we'll stream from another class, like right, one right. teacher teaching that class, and we'll stream it to this other group and have somebody in there that can just help them with the follow-up work or whatever. Like I would rather do that than to subject them to some of the things that they've been subjected to. You know, so I love the way you broke that down and really, really flushed it out. Here's the thing I'm challenged by. You know, mm-hmm. as a person who worked on the front line for so many years as a, as a school counselor, as a therapist and a social worker, 
you know, so much has to do with emotional and mental health. It is yet to be addressed in the school setting, acknowledged mm -hmm. or appreciated. And, and this is not my, my dig against teachers, but we always look at what teachers aren't getting. Social work, school social workers don't get it. School counselors don't get it either. You know, they leave the profession and then they have to deal with insurance companies who don't want to pay you for providing mental health. It's like insult to injury. And yet we persist because there is that inner drive. There is that motivation. There is that passion. And not everybody's great at it. I'll, I'll be the first to agree with that. But there is mm -hmm. not even a line item for acknowledging what we do in terms of, of providing mental health. And so I do think there needs to be a collaboration and something that sort of ties us together as a team, that we need each other because it always comes out as teachers need more. We need more as well. And also they, there needs to be more of us because without mental health professionals, teachers are on their own, clearly, as we see, which is what burns them out. It needs to be seen as a like I said, a collaboration of sorts. So I just wanted to stick I, that in there as well. If I could, I agree so much with what you said. I think also the problem is that we treat mental health as this elective that you should possibly be involved in that goes on the side of, you know, the number one responsibility for us is we're educators. We're supposed to, and I'm like, well, how does this child learn if they're not psychologically, emotionally well? How, what, what do we do for not prioritizing those things? And I see it, right? And so if there is a problem, and I'm using that word specifically, right. if there's a problem with a child, then we move problems to another place. They don't exist here. And so we'll then outsource them to, to the school psychologist. We will then outsource them to the school therapist who has more on their caseload than they can handle. But as, as long as we're trying, we're all right. Mm -hmm. What has rocked education to its core is the need for us to be prioritizing mental health mm -hmm. and the ways in which we have not done that. And the ways we have not done that in a way that is even culturally responsive, mm. because we'll be willing to acknowledge and and talk about mental health when it comes to, you know, Johnny. Right. But when it comes to Kareem. And the ways in which he might be a young black man and what I say, these yet to be United States and racism and the things and the messaging and all. We won't even acknowledge that in the core of who he is and how we navigate mental health for him. And so if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to make it something that is central to how we move things forward, man, we're going to be here for a long time. I agree. I think I, I think we are going to be here for a long time. And I totally agree that people forget that the pandemic has greatly impacted themselves as well as as kids. I mean, they, they we all have been impacted by them. So what do you think kids are doing with half the developmental ability in terms of figuring it out? Like there's no connection to just how much it has changed the lives of everyone. Let's talk about Liberation Lab with the time we have left. So it is an educational consulting firm to build internal and external accountability pathways. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so one of the things that I really got frustrated with, particularly, I've said this is, you know, we, we summer of 2020 hits and everybody wants to become an anti-racist. Yeah. Two years later, we're banning the same books that we were reading. Mm. And so, what we have been riddled with is a performative allyship, a performative meant for liberation that is only convenient as long as, you know, as long as my comforts are met. We don't, we're not willing to be uncomfortable. 
And so I try to lead in, and when I'm serving a, a district, I try to lead with accountability, right? For me, that means providing, and I'm in the process of doing this even now, providing resources for parents to know how they can navigate the educational red tape so they can better advocate for their student, knowing more about educational law so that when they step into the room with, you know, the school social worker, the school psychologist, the gen ed teacher, and then the special ed teacher, and they're all telling them about all their recommendations. The parent feels overwhelmed because they're not the expert in the room. They don't know how to advocate for what their kid needs. They're gonna to defer to the experts, which may be the people in front of them. But what about if those people don't have your kid's best interest in mind? Hmm. What about if they're advocating for things that are gonna make things more comfortable for them? And so we gotta be able to provide that external accountability of parents being able to do that. I think every board should have parent seats, mm. every board. I think that when we talk about that internal accountability, I think we should be able to inspect what we expect. We should be able to put ourselves in the position where just for transparency's sake, these are the things that we've been doing and having people take a good look at what we're doing as a school, whether that be at the board meeting, town council, whatever it is, to be able to connect with the constituents that we're serving. But I think what we've done is we've we set up our schools, the medieval castles with the moats around them <laughs> and the alligators in them. And we'll let down the drawbridge and we'll let you in, but you better show up the way we ask you to show up. And if you don't, we're going to raise the drawbridge and you can't come in here. It's like, well, why are we so secretive about schools? Why is that a thing? Why are we so disconnected from the people that we serve? Why is it that so many people who serve in a district, particularly as it gets more black and brown, do not live in, near, or around the communities that they are serving? Right. And so then you get disconnected from the narratives, the people, the situations, the histories, and you're not willing to do the work necessary to find them. Right. So I don't think we can change the fact that that's going to happen. But I do think that our districts could be doing something to better help our teachers learn why things are the way they are. That that the hood is not an accident, that it was an intentional act by the U.S. to create places of disparity that they will no longer serve. And that's where black and brown people live. That should just be a given. We should be able to teach them that and show them that we should be doing tours. Here's where everything is. Here's why it looks that way. Let me give you the history behind it. But to do that, you have to be culturally responsive. You have to know, right, the history. You have to care enough to do it. You have to provide the resources to do it. And we're just not willing to do that. I think at the end of the day, if we're willing to, to provide those means of accountability internally and externally, then we, we're willing to do the work necessary to improve, to, to actually serve our constituents and to be the, the districts that we say we are online. This idea that you are creating something for parents to be able to navigate the system, please put it step by step so that they know every nuance because they get caught up in the blind spots if it's not very mm. clear. They also are concerned about repercussions. We've been trained as a culture to be afraid yeah. of the repercussions. And so there is power in knowing how to navigate those potential repercussions. It is empowering. So I just wanted to share that as an idea. The other thing is there is no allyship. Allyship is, it needs to die. It needs to die. Because all it means is you're witnessing, you're a spectator. And if you are not in, in the abolition of things, then you are not existent in my mind. 
So the idea of empowering people to understand the nuances is I think where parents get hemmed up, you know, yeah. and how to navigate the repercussions. Because I love that you're providing sort of a handbook for people to understand what they don't know. Like yeah. It's so important. To your point, I would love to have, you know, folks who have continued to work in these spheres to teach right so it's not just my work like right? i'm the expert but that there's we see the excellence in community right when, when i make your problem my problem and we actually work together to be able to solve it so that's the work i'm definitely you know trying to put out there and and i want to do it free I like, like i don't want a parent to pay a dime to be able to advocate for their kid and so for me, that means making sure that I have the resources necessary, raise the resources necessary to be able to pay people, to do the things, to put it together and to, to put it out there. So well, it's a large endeavor, but I, uh, I think it's worth it. I love it. And I'm coming to the end of my career and the next couple of years. So if you need any volunteerism, please, you know where to find me. Let's Absolutely. connect. I'd love to offer and brainstorm whatever I have time to do, please. Look. I think what you're doing is so amazing. I think you're amazing, brother. I really, really do. So much respect to you. It's been amazing to share space with you, to be perfectly honest and transparent. I have felt, I don't know, not just enlightened, but motivated, given a little bit of hope, which is often something I lose in the course of the day. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Please let everybody know where they can find you, how they can support you. Yeah, absolutely. Let me first say, yeah, it's been an honor to even be here and to to share space with you as well. And when I do these things, I try to like look and see like who is it, who is the person that's invited me or whatever have you. And like I said, I just love what you stand for. I love what you've built here, you and, and your team. So thank you to all, everybody that's involved with this wonderful. So yeah, I mean, people can check into what I'm doing at myliberationlab.com. It's my website. And similar to yours, my, my email info at myliberationlab.com. They can connect with me there as well. I'm on Instagram, kind of on all the socials at, at liberation.lab. I would love to partner with schools. I would love to do professional development, uh, coaching at schools. I also do DEI work with businesses. So if that's a need that you have, and I think that's the best way that uh, people can partner with me and, and tap into what we're doing and try to see these these things that we're seeing in our world kind of change because we're doing the work necessary to change them. So absolutely. Feel free to connect with me on any of those spaces and I'll be glad to to serve with you. So last question before I let you go. Teachers putting liberatory practices to work for better student outcomes. Take us out with what that means. Yeah. So when I talk about liberation, I usually frame it in a question. And the question is, who would you be without oppression? How would you live? What would you think if you could imagine yourself outside of the oppressive, the oppressive nature of our world? What would you imagine yourself to be like? And then from that greater imagination, from that greater and, and broader space, we then plan the steps and the things necessary to get there. You ever seen that picture with young boys outside of the fence looking at the baseball game and it's added reality to it. So it's like reality. Then it's, you know, what's happening in our schools. You see the boxes piled up yeah. and then equity. Yeah. But then they get to the last part and it's liberation. And liberation there is without the fence and they're looking at the baseball game. And I said this but just this week, I hate that picture. <laughs> I hate it. The reason that I hate that picture is because the dream for liberation has to be larger than people who have never changed their position in, in terms of the thing that they are enjoying. Like liberation would mean that they're in the game. 
Mm. Liberation would mean that would mean that they no longer have the barriers that provide the access to what it is that they're enjoying. So whether that game is their job, their business, their future, their family, whatever it is, they now have the access to do that thing. And so for me, when I say we're putting liberatory practices to work, we ask the question, who would you be outside of oppression? And we do the work necessary to build up our students, our teachers, our staff to that end. And we do so in such a way that says, I'm not going to leave you outside of the thing you enjoy. You're going to be an active participant in your liberation. My brother, that is the perfect way to end this show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Let's stay in contact with each other and I'll continue to follow. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Absolutely. Be well. All right. Thank you for having me. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.